This afternoon we'll turn to Daniel chapter 3. We'll read the well-known story of the three friends as they faced the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3, and we'll also turn then after that to 1 Peter chapter 2 for our text. So Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, a fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands?" Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from a burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, 
nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's, let's turn now to First Peter. Chapter 2, and verses 13 through 17 will be our text for this evening. First Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, where it says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This far, our scripture reading for today. Dear congregation, a young boy, 18-year-old, he was caught stealing road signs in Singapore. 
And as a punishment, he was fined $2,200 US dollars. He was spent four months in prison, and he received four lashes with a cane. A cane is like a branch off of a, a sort of a palm tree on his bare skin. And just because he was an American, it didn't allow him to get away with breaking the law in a foreign country, in Singapore. And it did not spare him from the type of punishment that they used in Singapore, especially the caning. It brought some concerns from some of the Americans. But if we think of Christians, even though they are pilgrims and strangers and sojourners in this world, it doesn't mean that we can live here without rules. While we live in this world, we are subject to the authorities that are above us. And so Peter, after he had called us in verse 12 to have honorable conduct among the Gentiles, the first practical application that he comes to here in verse 13 is submission to government, submitting Christian submission to government. And that's our theme for this afternoon, Christian submission to government. In the first place, we'll see the call to submit. Because Peter really gives us no uh, leeway, no wiggle room. He says, there, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And every ordinance of man simply means those organized structures of government, any instituted form uh, for, for governing. And we are to submit ourselves. I mean, to be obedient uh, to them if we're under their jurisdiction. If we think again of when Peter wrote this letter, it was during the time through during the reign of Nero. Now, some of you might have learned about Nero. He was about 17 years old when he came to power to become the emperor of Rome. And he only lived to be 30 years old. But he was described to be tyrannical, self-indulgent, and debauched. He was very wicked, very immoral, to the point that he even killed his own wife because he wanted to marry someone else. And at that time, history records that Roman, the Roman Empire was polytheistic, serving many gods, and it included emperor worship at times. And so when Christianity was spreading through the, through the nations, it really, there was a real conflict between ideologies of, of the empire and, and Christians. And so Christians in many ways began to be punished, even by the state, for treason, because they didn't adhere to, these imperial, to the imperial cult of the empire, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They faced that kind of opposition. And they also were blamed for various things, like the great fire of Rome, that in order to deflect it from himself, Nero accused the Christians of the ones who had started that fire, and so they were punished for that. They were punished for assembling illegally, according to the Romans. And they were also punished for leading other Romans to Christianity, which, would be, which means they were abandoning the Roman cults. And so persecution really started under Emperor Nero in Rome. And you can read of some of the things that they did. They were fed to the wild animals for, for sport to watch. They were crucified. They say Nero even had 
People hung up on poles in his gardens and lit them on fire as torches at night. And so persecution expanded through the Roman Empire for about 300 years until Constantine made an edict that permitted Christians to live. Now, if you think of all that, it was during this period of time that Peter writes to the believers. And you can understand now here why, what he means in, verse, in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, that he writes to the pilgrims of the dispersion, those who were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The Christians were scattered because of this persecution. And so he writes to them to, to comfort them and to encourage them and to direct them as they face these trials and reminding them that it's specifically because they are strangers on this world that they belong to God that they will suffer persecution because of the conflict with the ideologies of this world. And so it's, he's saying really because you belong to God, it's even for that reason that you must submit to every ordinance of man. And he goes on to say, whether it be to kings as supreme, the supreme ruler of the land, or to the governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So he's saying you have to submit to every form or level of government, whether it's supreme ruler like Caesar, Nero at the time, or, or governors like Pilate or, or Herod. And even though Nero was so wicked, even resented by the Romans themselves, and even though his own Roman Senate declared him to be a public enemy of the state, yet Peter calls Christians to submit to government. If you think of Daniel and even the three friends here, they were captives of war, taken captive from different countries and brought to Babylon, and they submitted to the governing authorities, and they lived to the best of their God-given abilities in the circumstances in which they were placed, the slaves in, foreign, in a foreign land. You think of David, who had to flee from King Saul. And David served Saul until it became clear that he had to flee for his life. But then even then, David never spoke evil of Saul. And then secondly, some reasons for submitting to government. The reasons for submitting And the first reason is we recognize that all authority is given by God. In Romans 13, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And so submitting to government is submitting to God's authority over us in our life. It's really obedience to the fifth commandment, which is honoring those in authority. And so if we believe that everything is governed by God under His control, that not a hair can fall off her head without His will, that not a sparrow can fall out of the sky without God knowing, and then the government that we live under is also provided by God 
for the expansion of his kingdom, for his own purpose, for his own glory. And so David recognized that Saul had been anointed by the Lord to that position of power. And for that reason, he never wanted to kill Saul, even when he had, when he had the opportunity. You may remember when Saul came into the cave where David was hiding and he was close enough to kill him. Or there was other times when they went into the camp when Saul was sleeping, but, but David never wanted to kill Saul. He left justice to the Lord. He honored the king. Authority is given by God. But then secondly, the second reason is God uses governments to control evil. God is a God of order and not a God of confusion. And even countries where there is a corrupt government, it's better than a society of anarchy, than a society without any a rule. Because if there's no government, there is, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. There is anarchy. It's dangerous and chaotic. And so governments have been set up, Peter says, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So it's for the public good. And when we submit ourselves to government, we're submitting for the, for the love of our neighbor and for the good of our nation. And so Caesar, with all his shortcomings, he even had a, he had a vision for his empire and for his people. When you think of the Babylonians or the Romans who conquered Israel, those governments were so much different than what Israel was used to. And that way of her life and their religion as they had known it had all, all, all changed. But even then, God also made clear to Israel that the Assyrians and the Babylonians were used by him as instruments to punish them for their wickedness, for their forsaking of God. God uses wicked leaders to bring judgment upon this world. Calvin says this, that tyrants and those like them who do not produce a blessing to, to many people by, by their effects, but do not produce such effects by their abuse, but that the ordinance of God ever remains in force. So he's saying that even if an extremely wicked ruler reigns, the government is established by God ought to be so highly valued by us as to honor even tyrants when in power. Recognizing that all authority has been set in place by God, even if they are wicked rulers, they still have a purpose from God to keep certain things in check, and we must honor them as such. And we can think of David, who still honored Saul as God's anointed king. The third reason, then, for submitting to government is that God uses faithful obedience to silence evil. In verse 15, Peter says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And ignorance here really means that they have a wrong understanding, and foolish men are those who choose to believe the wrong views, refuse to believe the word, the truth of God. And so the reason we are to obey and submit to government is to really silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 12 said, Our conduct 
must always be honorable among the Gentiles, among the people that we live under, in, in our, our neighbors and such, under the same government. We must have honorable conduct so that they can't accuse us of any wrongdoing. And even when they speak against us as evildoers, or when they falsely accuse us, they will be put to silence by our, our works. And Peter says that they, by by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That really means to, to muzzle them, like you put, you put a muzzle on a, on a dog's mouth so he can't bark. But it prevents them from opening their mouth. And that's what happened to the Sadducees when, in, in Matthew 22 when the Lord Jesus was speaking to them. It says they were astonished uh, at His teaching, and they had no more argument left uh, to to accuse the Lord Jesus of. And so also in our, in our lives in this world, specifically when it comes to our obedience to law and order, no one should be able to accuse us of any wrongdoing. And here we can think of Daniel as another example. In Daniel 6, King Darius made him to be one of the three top persons, governors in the land. Daniel also was he came in as a captive, taken captive by the army and brought into, into Babylon, and yet he, he served so faithfully that he became one of the top three governors in the land. And he excelled in his duties, and the other rulers became jealous. And they wondered why this Jew was in, in such a high place of authority in the, in the country. And so they looked for a way to accuse him, but they couldn't find any fault in, in him, it says. Daniel 6 says, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So he was blameless, you can say. No one could accuse him of any disobedience or wrongdoing. You can think also of Paul. When he was accused by the Jews because of what he was preaching, Paul even appealed to the higher courts of the Romans to be delivered from the unjust accusations of the Jewish council. But his obedience to the Roman authorities also enabled him to continue to work and continue to preach even when he was under house arrest. And through his submission, the Word of God spread even into Caesar's household. God uses government systems to bring the gospel to places where we otherwise would not be able to reach. Even in our own province, sermons have been played in court. And in different places, Christians are brought into the government to testify and to be able to speak the Word of God. The opportunity is given. And so then as in verse 12, the end goal is not just to defend ourselves, but we must always have that glory of God in view and the salvation of sinners. 2 Timothy 24, Paul writes that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt or able to teach and patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. If they're foolish, if they're rejecting God, it's because they don't understand that they can't meet God in their current spiritual condition. 
And the silencing of the foolish is not just so that we can continue living in our quiet lives, but that they might also stop and realize that God is real, that heaven and hell are real, and that eternity is real, and that God also calls them now to repentance. And our lives must be a means for that. You remember in Luke 9 where the disciples wanted to call down fire on on the city of the Samaritans because they didn't receive Jesus, but the Lord said, no, I've not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And if we believe also that what God's Word says, that all those who reject Christ will perish forever under the wrath of God, then we must also seek to live. And one of the ways is is submitting to authority. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, so that sinners also will by these ways also seek God. You must have the glory of God and the salvation of sinners in view. And that will determine how we respond to government. But then, of course, there are, thirdly, limits of Christian submission to government. We've had some of those limits tested in these past years. You can think of many examples that are shown in Scripture, the three friends that we read about in Daniel, the three friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow before the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever disobeyed the king's orders would be thrown into the fiery furnace. You can think of Daniel 6, when the other governors became jealous of Daniel, and when they couldn't find anything to accuse him of, they came up with a plan to make a new law to trap Daniel. And that new law said that for 30 days, no one could pray to anyone except to the king. And whoever disobeyed that law would be thrown into the lion's den. And so to disobey would be certain death. And that was the intent of the law. The, the, governors, the other governors wanted Daniel dead. But Daniel disobeyed, and he continued to pray three times a day, like he had done since he was a child, it says. He didn't try to hide it, but he also didn't flaunt it. But he just continued with his habits of prayer. Another example is after Saul had tried to kill David by throwing a spear at him in the palace, David knew that it was no longer safe to go to the palace again. And so when Saul had this dinner for all his, his leaders, and he was, it was mandatory to be there, and yet David refused to go. And so Saul sent soldiers to his house, but he escaped out the back, and he, his wife put a, a, an image, an idol, in the bed with a wig to make it look like he was sick. And so here are three examples of of limits of submitting to government authority. Because Peter says in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And in verse 15 he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So submitting for the Lord's sake and according to the will of the Lord. 
When we read these passages, we have to remember that Scripture can never contradict Scripture. And so the, land, the law of the land must always be upheld as long as it does not force us to disobey God's law. And we can see an example of that clearly in Acts 4, verse 18, where the Jewish council commanded them, the apostles, not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus at all. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And later, so stopping to preach would be disobeying God. And later they came back and they asked, didn't we not strictly command you to, not to teach in that name? And Peter replied, we ought to obey God rather than men. So as Peter writes this, he himself knew that he had to disobey the government at that point to teach, to preach, when they had commanded him not to. And so when all the people were forced to bow down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar set up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obeyed God rather than the king. But you could say they still submitted to the government in that they willingly faced the consequences. They stood by their convictions and faith in God. And even like Luther had to say, when he, said, when he stood there, he said, Here I stand, I can do no other God, help me. They had nowhere else to run. David could flee. He fled to the mountains and God spared him. But when we are faced with the decision to disobey a government order for the sake of the gospel, for sake of the, the Lord, are we also willing to submit ourselves to the consequences believing that God is with us? Because Jesus said in Luke 12, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And so in a sense, so the, the limits, these limits of, of submission also relate to the spheres of government. That the government of the, of the country and of the church and of the family, all have their own sphere, which in we, wherein we're to work. But when the government infringes in something that that's outside of their God-given authority, then we must also obey God rather than men. For example, when we're called to assemble as believers to worship God, then we must gather. When we are called to bring the gospel to the nations and minister to the sick and the dying, we must seek to obey God as, as best as we could as best as we can. In, in the years gone by, when people, went to, when, when, when people were put in prison by the government, it was family that had to feed them and take care of them, and so they often did that at the risk of their own lives, because being associated with a criminal, you could be caught as well. And so there is, there is, there is a, a high cost. But when we're we can think also of when we're called to teach our children according to the Word of God. We must warn against heresy and, and against sin. And we have to protect our children from the damaging 
ideologies that are being spread in the schools today and warn about these dangers. We must teach against what the government is promoting in the schools and, and pushing on our children, and we have to defend them and protect them. We must teach what God's Word declares to be the truth about what a man is, what a woman is, about what marriage is, what morality is, and what eternity is. And in all these ways, we must obey God rather than man. But lastly, also the manner of Christian submission. How does it look like when we submit? It's important to realize always that we submit to earthly kings knowing that this is not our final home. No empire in this world will ever be completely Christian, but one day Christ will reign supreme over every nation and every knee shall bow. And even now we bow to Christ under the rule of these temporary leaders, even if they themselves do not bow to Christ. And as such, we need to have a spirit of submission, even in difficult times. Peter says in verse 16, as free and yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God, as slaves of Christ, of God. Because some Christians think that because they are Christians, they belong to Christ, that they can neglect or oppose anything in this world that seems to contradict their own freedom or well-being. But Peter warned us in the previous verses to abstain from fleshly lust, to abstain from evil. Because a natural tendency might be to interpret Christian liberty as being able to be free to do what we want. And Peter says that's using the name of Christian as an excuse and as a covering to do wickedness whether that be living in sin, in, more, in, in any type of sin, or whether it be sinfully resisting the government merely because we don't like what they're doing. And some people think they don't need to obey the government if they don't like who the person is, if they're ungodly. But the freedom of, Christian, of a Christian is freedom from sin, freedom from these fleshly lusts that we have to abstain from. And it's a freedom to serve God according to His commandments, which in this case pertains to the fifth commandment, honoring those in authority over us. And if we go back to those three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they served faithfully in their foreign country. And when, this, when faced with the decision to obey God or government, they responded with honor, with respect, with steadfastness, and faith. And Daniel 3, verse 16 says that they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you that this, in this matter. If this is the case, that, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So they submitted to the government in that they faced them, and they were able to communicate the reasons why 
and they could not bow to the idol. And we must stand for the truth, but we must also recognize that that can come with the opposition, the consequences. But here also, as Luke 12 says, that when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say, for the Holy Spirit shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. God will also help and strengthen His people. But then in verse 17, Peter sums it up saying, Honor all people, love the brotherhood or the brethren, Fear God, honor the King. Love for the general well-being of all people of your nation, of society. Recall to honor all authority, even if there is abuse of power. And that means we must honor our Prime Minister, Trudeau. And there's absolutely no place, especially among Christians, for any derogatory bumper stickers or slogans or language about him. It's very easily, especially children pick it up very quick to, to speak evil of our rulers. And even though they might be ungodly men, yet he's God's authority in our land. And as David never dared to put a hand up against Saul, we must never say anything evil of our rulers. We must not slander. And these are all part of those evil, those, those fleshly lusts that Peter tells us to abstain from. There are proper channels uh, through voting and, and through the courts to address issues if need be. But above all, we have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords through prayer. The God who sets up one and casts down another. The God who turns a king's heart as like a river. You have the access as a Christian through Christ to Him and to His power. Daniel and David and the three friends there, they called on God when they were oppressed. Especially David, you can read in the Psalms how often he was oppressed, how often he called upon God to deliver him and to vindicate him and to destroy the wicked even. And so the Lord delivered them and put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so what we need to do is to be often in prayer for our nation, for our rulers, and for ourselves, that the Lord would give us a government who would honor His Word, who would honor His name for the well-being of society. But if that is not the Lord's will, if the Lord is continuing to let our country go the way it is, we must also learn to submit to what comes our way, to stand for God's Word where we must, but also to recognize that it will come at a cost. And so we pray that the Lord will give us grace in whatever the future would bring. Amen.